this year I we sent out the mailer. Uh, perhaps some of you got them in your homes. It grabbed attention with the title death. Death is something that we've been confronted with over the last few years uh, with the pandemic. And even regardless of the pandemic, various health issues have taken place. Loved ones have passed away. Coworkers, spouses, children, parents, some over the last couple of years, some just in the last few days and, and, and weeks and months. Death is a reality, and it will continue. And last Sunday, I spoke on being confronted with death, and today I want to bring just a thought that death is canceled. And you think, well, how can it be canceled? Because I just lost my mom just a few days ago. I lost my, my husband and my father just a few months ago. Uh, I've got people uh, that are in my life that are, 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 are just on the edge of, of perhaps passing away. You know, a seven-year-old Johnny came home after school one day and says, Daddy, where do I come from? Seven years old, and the father just goes, oh, no. I wasn't quite prepared for this question. How am I going to phrase this? And, but he kind of swallowed deep and, and took a deep breath and just said, okay. And he, he began to explain for about 15 to 20 minutes about the birds and the bees. Johnny's eyes were getting bigger. At the end, the father asked him, Does, do you understand what I've said? Do, did I answer your question? And Johnny just looks up his dad and said, well, I, I think so. We got a new boy in school from Ohio, and I was just wondering where I came from. There are times in life we're confronted with questions like, why did this happen and why did that happen? And, and we're coming up with answers that don't match the question. And today I want to draw us to a question in Scripture that I think is vital for all of us to, to hear, be confronted by, and begin to understand how to answer. If you will, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible that you brought with you or if you don't have a, a Bible app that you can uh, find quickly, please use the Bible in the pew rack right in front of you. You can turn to page uh, 844. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, I want you to take the Bible that's in front of you and take it home with you. It's a gift from our church to you because I would much rather you have the Bible in your possession on a daily basis than it just sitting in, in the pew collecting dust. We can always replenish the Bibles, but I want you to have access to it. In John chapter 11, the story here is uh, the reality of there's a man named Lazarus who's a good friend of, of Jesus. And he's good friends with the whole family, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the, the sisters of Lazarus. And, and, and Jesus catches word that, that Lazarus is sick. And the, and the sisters are saying, please come. They know he has healing power. Please come and, and heal your friend Lazarus. And Jesus hears of that, but does not immediately get up from where he was. And he doesn't leave the town where he was ministering. He actually waits for a few days. And then by the time he arrives, Lazarus has been dead four days. 
as he's walking into town. And he's well aware that Lazarus has already died. Mary and Martha confront him and, and basically say, if, if you would have been here, if you would have just shown up, had you been on time? And I know that, that kind of sentiment rests in our own hearts sometimes. We prayed, we've asked God to come. Jesus, where are you in our situation? You know, I, I need you to heal my, my relative. I need you to heal my marriage. I need you to help in, in my wayward children. I, I need you to speak into my life. I've got a financial situation. Help! And you think Jesus has either forgotten you or just delaying. He's dragging his feet and you have no idea why. So Jesus, full of compassion and love, he, he, he looks into the heart and the, the, into the, and the eyes of Mary and Martha. And he begins to unpack that there's far more purpose for why he does what he does than you understand. I'm thankful God answers our prayers. But he is never obligated to follow our plan. When we, he follows our plan, often we'll miss the greatest blessings. Trusting in Jesus, whether in the face of death or difficulty, any challenges, we need to understand who Jesus is. He's not a divine genie. You rub the belly of the, uh, of the, of the lamp and he comes out and just answers your wishes. He has a, a sovereign divine plan even in your situation. So he's going to confront them with a question and they're not going to know how to answer. And I want you to see down in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And here's the question. Do you believe this? Your eyes might get bigger and go, what do I say to that? The question's not meant to confuse you nor require a 15 to 20 minute explanation of your theology. Jesus was simply explaining who he is and asking if they will have faith in him because of that truth. On the day that Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. They saw him. Uh, when, when told that Jesus was alive, they were excited and they, they ran to the tomb. When he, when he appeared to them at the house, all of them heard him except for one, one who wasn't present. His name was Thomas. We often refer to him as Doubting Thomas, though I think we could all put ourselves in the shoes and the sandals of Thomas because sometimes we doubt as well. We hear things, but we don't always believe what we've been told. Thomas heard Jesus was alive. He doubted. He demanded proof. He demanded to see him. Now, if the eyewitnesses of his best friends, Peter, James, and John, were, were not sufficient for Thomas, I am under no illusion that just because I tell you something, you're going to believe it as well. But I pray today that we can look at the words of Jesus, and by the Holy Spirit of God, he will open your eyes and your heart and draw you to himself with the question, do you believe this? In order to make sure we understand the question, I want, I want to consider the inflection of the words of that question. Jesus' question here might be personal. 
it certainly is personal. Consider, do you believe this? The inflection on the you could be driving this to our, to our hearts. It's very personal when it comes to saving faith. In the finished work of Christ, this is what matters most. Not that your grandmother believes, not that you have a friend that believes, not that you, you grew up in a Christian home, but do you believe this? It's very personal. Our 21st century culture gives an increasing number of documentaries and movies and books which question the veracity of Scripture, the, the accuracy of Scripture. Is it true or is this some fable or myth? Is Jesus really the Son of God as he claimed? Did he really rise from the grave? I mean, do you really want to believe his death was unnecessary and not a voluntary, vicarious death for you? Do you really want to rest your faith in, in, in the uncertainty of, well, I don't know. He claims it. People follow him. I've seen lives change for, for centuries. But I, I just don't know. This, this one documentary that will be forgotten within the end of the year claims otherwise. Jesus is asking, do you believe the account of the resurrection? I mean, do you think it should just be relegated to some ancient myth, some fable with no saving power? Is that what you're going to believe? Or are you going to listen to what Jesus says here in the evidence of truth for the last 2,000 years that his body has never been produced? Over 500 witnesses saw him, heard him, and he fulfilled every one of his prophecies leading up to that point. And he has one ultimately left to fulfill. I'm coming back. Do you believe this? This is a very personal question. He claims, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? The second consideration is the question about the question is Jesus' question is very pointed. Do you believe this? Perhaps that's where the emphasis is. Do you believe this? As he's asking this question of Bethany, putting that added inflection on belief, see, belief is, is, is faith that is responding to the question. He's not inquiring, have you heard this? He's not asking you if you intellectually uh, could give assent to this. He claims that he is God, that he is risen, uh, that he will rise from the dead at this point, but he has risen from the dead. He's saying, do you believe me? Do you trust me at my word? It's one thing to hear about the gospel story and to know about it intellectually. It's another thing to go watch a movie about it or watch a, a miniseries or a reenactment. It's one thing to argue and debate about it. It's one thing to try to conform ourselves to the truth of the gospel. There are many try to conform to the truth of the gospel without ever truly trusting the truth of the gospel. The real issue this morning is do you believe this? Have you transferred your trust from yourself and your own efforts to Jesus alone. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, says this, uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of your works so that you cannot boast. Do you have faith? Do you believe who Jesus is and what he has done? In his question, do you believe this, the, the final phrase that may be emphasized here is this. Jesus' question is precise. Do you believe this? 
Well, when you hear the, the phrase this, you, that really is the heart of the issue. True faith must rest on objective, unchanging truth. True, uh, faith is not a feeling. Faith is not just some uh, subjective thought out there that, so, in, in, in some kind of realm that you, I can't see it. I don't know. I'll just kind of have some feelings towards that. No. Do you believe this is an objective, unchanging truth? Who he is, what he has done matters. Well, what is this? Well, in the context, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Whoever believes in me, though he will die, see, death is still part of the equation, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. There's going to still be a physical death at the point of faith in Christ. But even though you die, there will be life afterwards. Do you believe this? What you believe about Jesus matters after we pass from this earth. I mean, immediately on the heels of this incredible claim of being the resurrection of the life and about life afterwards, he says, do you believe this? Jesus' four claims here uh, is asking you to believe. What is this? I'm going to break this down into four areas right from what he says. The first claim that you need to consider is about his deity. He says here, I am the resurrection and the life. When he said, I am, that caught the attention of every Jewish believer in the area. Seven times in the, in the Gospel of John, he uses the phrase, I am, and then uh, uh, inserts the, the blank spot. In John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, I am the door. Also in chapter 10, he says, I am the chief shepherd. In chapter 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. Here in chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The phrase, I am, was first used in Exodus chapter 3 when God the Father was speaking to Moses. Moses encountering the living God in the burning bush. And Moses asked God to reveal his name so that when he went to Egypt, he would be able to claim authority from God. Who do I say sent me? And God said, you just tell them, I am sent you. Not I was, nor I will be. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when Jesus speaks in this context and he says, I am, he is claiming divinity. He's not just a representative of God. He is God in the flesh. God is the Father. God is the, the, the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. Three individual persons all united in the Godhead. And he stands in full authority. When he speaks, I am the resurrection and the life. Clarence W. Hall says, Easter says you can put truth in a grave, but listen to me, it will not stay there. See, Jesus is the great I am. The question is, will you be one of his? Faith in the deity of Christ led every apostle except for John to, to suffer a martyr's death. John, who wrote this gospel, died of old age, put uh, on an island of Patmos. 
faith in the deity of Christ and the insistence upon this truth had Ignatius of Antioch thrown to the wild animals at the end of the first century. And Polycarp of Smyrna burned. They believed this. They trusted in the, in, in the, the testimony of Christ and what he had done. Jesus' question for these first century disciples is also the same question that we have. Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus is divine? Do you believe he is God incarnate? Martha answered this question immediately in verse 27 of, of John 11. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha, a devout Jew, said you are the Christ and all those who heard this confession immediately would think of the temple. They would, they would think of, of uh, the Passover they would be uh, observing when the sacrificial lambs were slain and the high priest came on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And, and in that time, the high priest entered the Holy of Holies to sprinkle blood over the mercy seat above the Ark of the Covenant. They would think of this. Yom Kippur means the Day of Covering. When the sins of the people were covered over by the blood... The old uh, covenant covered the sins of the people who looked towards the Christ that would come, the anointed one. The Christ who would come to make full payment for our sins when there would be no more sacrifice required. When he asked, uh, do you believe this? Martha says, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the one that had been promised for centuries, that when you came, you would cover all of our sins and all those who follow you. You understand that Martha's reply was pregnant with meaning. It's more than, yeah, I, I kind of believe you're God. No, she believed he was the one. God in the flesh who would come and cover their sins and give them hope for new life. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So who is Jesus to you today? That's what her testimony is and what she believes is Jesus merely a figure from, uh, from history? Is he, a, uh, is he just the subject of some sentimental story that you were read as a child? Or can you say with Martha, yes, I believe him. I believe he is my Christ, my covering, my Savior. This is a precise question about his deity, but he's not done. I want you to see that Jesus' claim about death Whoever believes in me, though he die. Many people live in total denial of their upcoming appointment with death. Typically, the younger you are, you don't even think about death. When I was in high school, uh, there was a young man who, who had been living kind of a wild life, and uh, the Lord uh, put him in my path. And I, I wasn't a strong believer, but I did believe in Christ. And, and I had the opportunity to share with him about Jesus. And he broke down and, and uh, cried and wept. He says, I need that. And he confessed his sins and, and, and repented. And he actually turned his life around by the grace of God. Two years later, I had moved on to college. I was down in Phoenix, Arizona. And then I got a phone call uh, from a dear friend. He says, did you hear about this, this friend of mine? I said, no, what? He says, he was in a car wreck that killed him. It was a tragic situation there in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I paused and I thought, this is way too young. This, this just doesn't make sense. 
But what gave me certainty that day that he is okay is that I knew, because I heard from his own lips his confession about Christ, and I saw God change his life. He believed that, that though he may die, yet he was going to live again. Death is a reality. All of us are going to die. I mean, I have pictures in my office of Jennifer and I when we were engaged 29 years ago. And I know it's, it's going to end up on the news, but I had dark hair back then. None of my children have ever seen me with dark hair except for in pictures. My hair has changed. My body shape has certainly changed. Life goes on. I, I've only been wearing these for the last couple of years. You, you're noticing your own body that, that it is getting to a time where, where one day God's going to pull the plug and say, I, I, I'm done with you here. I'm going to take you home with me. Every one of us are going to die. Though we cling on to this life, I would pray that we would recognize death as a reality and start clinging on to Christ, to live as Christ, to die as gain. If God keeps us here for 120 years, God bless him that he's done that in me. If he takes me home uh, earlier than that, then, then I will be with him. The question is, if you believe in his divinity, you've you got to believe that you are going to die. So what are you going to do with the life that he's given you now? None of us can stop the fact that we're marching towards the grave. The question is, where are you headed afterwards? We'll all close our life on this earth. We'll all open our eyes in front of our uh, uh, the judgment seat. We'll all open our eyes in front of our judge. Will we be considered innocent because of the blood of Christ or guilty because we lived our life and rejected Christ? The Bible says it's appointed for man to die once, and after this comes the judgment. It was centuries ago that in Amos chapter 4, verse 12, it gives us a bold warning. Prepare to meet your God. Are you prepared? Do you trust the risen Savior? We will live and we will die, John Stott says. He goes on to say, Christ died and yet he lives. When we die, will we be living with him? Here's the other claim that we need to consider. It's about our destiny. Yet shall he live. It's strange how many of us today live our lives as if this is it. Jesus indicates that through death, uh, death is sure. We are going to live again. The body may indeed die, but not our spirit, not the part of us that, that lives and longs for something more. We will be reunited with our body at some point after our death. But at the point of death, our soul will go somewhere. Imagine for a moment, because some are a, a little fearful of death. Imagine for a moment, as has happened even this week in our church, there was a, a brand new baby born this week, Stetson. Very excited about the Flint family. Uh, a friend of mine who's a pastor in the area also had a baby on Friday. Uh, just precious Imagine if you, could, if you could go back to your days in the womb. If you were twins, you were womb mates. This is what I understand. So you're in the womb. That's all you know is what was happening in the womb. And, and you were growing and it was warm. It was like you're in the hot tub of life. I mean, this is just wonderful. But it's getting a little crowded after a while. I mean, you're losing space. And imagine hearing the voice of your mother say, Oh, honey, you're going to be here soon. You're about to come out of where you 
only been, and now you're going to be in a new place. And you might be thinking, no, this is all I know. This is what I'm comfortable with. I don't want to go through any difficulty and pain. I don't want to have to go through the process of dying in a sense of where I am and going into a new place. I like it here. It's very comfortable. I, I'm always near the one who loves me. Everything is wonderful. Why in the world would I ever want to transfer from where I am to the next place? But every baby who's been born that comes out and just healthy and beautiful is embraced and loved and has a whole new world, and all of us are experiencing that now. But every one of us are in the womb of this world right now, and there's something even greater coming. We do not need to fear death. When we know a loving Father who has provided a way through Jesus to spend eternity with him, to be birthed from this world into eternity is not a burden or a trouble. It is a blessing that we will experience the remainder of, of eternity. Where is our destiny? Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live in a way that you've never experienced before. Which leads me to the last consideration, his claim of deliverance. You know, it's in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, where he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, <clears throat> you will be saved. That's not a, you might be saved. There might be a consideration. You might be in a waiting list. Oh, Lord, we've been on a lot waiting list in our life. He says, you will be saved. It's immediate. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's why we came today, yes? We believe that he, God raised Jesus from the dead. And because we believe that, you will be saved. So the claim here is, is deliverance. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never truly, ultimately, eternally die. You're going to die, but you will live after your death. And will you live with him? Jesus' claim is, is that eternal salvation and eternal security is found through faith in him alone. Faith is only possible this side of the grave. To trust in him is required now. Today, if you hear his voice, listen and respond. You know, there are those who, who will see Jesus on the, on the other side of the grave, and they will proclaim all the things they did. Well, I was a good person. I paid my taxes. I always showed up on time to things. I, I checked the box on, on certain Sundays. I showed up. I, I was there. And Jesus is going to look at them and say these tragic words in Matthew seven twenty three. But I never knew you. You did a lot of things around me, but you never knew me. You never confessed and trusted me. You never confessed with your mouth. You never believed in your heart. Deliverance is for those who trust, not work for, but trust in and worship the Christ who is risen. Eternal life begins now. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. So the question is, do you believe this? Resurrection Sunday is a day that we're confronted with Jesus' question. Let us not 
be confused and answer in so many ways that do not match the question like that father of that seven-year-old. In fact, there's only three possible responses to his claims. Either Jesus is deceptive, a liar, when he says he's the resurrection of life, when he says he's the Christ, he's some kind of con artist. Was, was Jesus truly trying to deceive people, claiming to be the resurrection of life, knowing that he was lying? Is he deceptive here? Perhaps that's one answer. Or perhaps maybe he was demented. He's a lunatic. He, he didn't know that he wasn't God. He just was claiming that. Certainly, we see people up and down the roads of Lynchburg at times that are having mental health issues. You need to pray for them and help them if you can. And was Jesus just demented and, and a lunatic? Was he claiming things that were not true? And we would just look at him and go, oh, that poor man. How sad. He, he thinks he's God. He's, well, I, there's no way. Some kind of first century David Koresh or a Jim Jones. And, but listen, if you don't believe he was demented, if you don't believe he was deceived, the only other option is he was divine. He was the Lord. On the third day after his crucifixion, he did, in fact, rise from the dead. His body was gone from the tomb. They had all kinds of rumors and speculations, and they came up with lies to, to, to try to defeat that. Oh, yeah, the Roman soldiers, they were just asleep and didn't see him slip out. He wasn't really dead. He just kind of slipped out. Really, every Roman soldier would be put to death for falling asleep on the job. And if you think he, 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 the, the, the disciples stole his body, well, Go find the body and produce the body. Oh, you can't. Why? Because he's walking around preaching to over 500 people. He even went to his brother, James, who did not believe in him. Now, think about this. They were roommates. Jesus, the older brother, they share the same mother but not the same father because uh, Jesus came from God the Father. James, uh, uh, his, his father was Joseph. And they're growing up together, and James would not believe his brother was the son of God. James would look at him and call him a lunatic. They would go to a house where he's preaching, try to get him out of the house. Oh, he's crazy. You ever have some family members that think you're a little crazy? Yeah, I'm sure I have some even today. He's crazy. So James never believed in Jesus. And you know what Jesus did after the resurrection? Certainly he saw his disciples. He was going to have an encounter with Thomas and say, do I have to show you? Okay, look. Touch. Once you touch it, Thomas, you were doubting. But he made a, a beeline to his brother James. Look at the scriptures in Corinthians. He goes to James, and James saw his resurrected brother and gave his life to his brother, gave his life to the Lord. James became the first pastor of Jerusalem because he didn't believe it before Jesus died. But afterwards, he said, I'll give my whole life to my brother who is God. Oh, Lord, we, we need some help here. Would you open our hearts to see that Jesus, we may have doubted, we may have thought he was crazy, but he really rose from the dead and he really loves us and he's making a beeline to us to speak to us that he loves us and he has provided a way for us. I like what Peter Marshall said. He said the stone was rolled away from the door of the tomb not to let Christ out, but enable us to come in and see he's not there. Isn't that a good word? It's all he, he rolled away so he would allow Jesus to come out. Jesus was not bound by a huge stone. But when they opened the stone, and John ran to the tomb, but then hung out on the outside.
afraid to go in. Peter got there second. He goes in because he sees Jesus is not there. It's some claws laying around. But my God is alive, Peter believed. His question is personal. You cannot live your life on what someone else believes. His question is pointed. Believe. It's faith. And that's the key that should begin now. His question is precise. This, do you believe this, his deity? Do you believe the, the end of death is coming for you? Do you believe there's a destiny and a deliverance provided by Jesus' resurrection? You know, in this passage, Lazarus is a picture of us all. He was dead in the tomb, and spiritually every one of us are dead apart from Christ. But Christ comes after Lazarus was in the tomb, there was nothing anybody could do. Mary and Martha were weeping. Though they believed, they, they, they were doubting. Oh, what, what, what's going to happen? And Jesus calls out Lazarus' name. The reason he called out Lazarus' name, because if he just said, come out, every dead person would have came out of the grave. But he had a pointed name because he knew Lazarus by name. And he knows your name as well. When he looks in your heart and you're confronted with his truth, he calls your name, come out. I'm making you alive to follow me forever. I love you, and I've accomplished the work on your behalf. You don't have to work. You just have to worship. You just have to, to follow and believe. Do you believe this? The answer is simple. The offer is free. The invitation is open. Do you believe this? Your answer to that question will make an eternal difference.